Hey, everyone. This is Joe Milliken, author of the book, Let's Go, Benjamin Orr on the Cars. And you are listening to my weekly mixtape with Brian Colburn. We had a lot of fun doing this one, so we hope you enjoy it. Let's go. Welcome to My Weekly Mixtape, a podcast that takes the classic mixtape approach to building a modern playlist. I'm your host, Brian Colburn. Joining me tonight as guest curator is Joe Milliken, music journalist and author of the book, Let's Go, Benjamin Orr and the Cars. Joe, thank you so much for joining me on My Weekly Mixtape. Brian, it's great to be here, man. I appreciate you inviting me on and... uh this is a unique podcast you guys set up here, so it's um, a little different than what I'm used to doing, so I'm looking forward to it. And I'm looking forward to having you on, but I'm going to start by asking you the same question I ask all of my first-time guests, and that is, what does the word mixtape mean to you? Well, to be honest with you, mixtape means a lot to me, <laughs> because me and mixtapes and making mixtapes go way back. I think a lot of people who are, you know, such music enthusiasts as we are, I think everybody has some kind of connection to a mixtape somehow. Either they made them themselves or somebody made one for them, you know, that kind of thing. Um, and I go way back. I mean, I literally was making mixtapes going back to when I was like 15 years old. And it's funny because the first mixtapes I used to make before I even had like a whole component stereo set up in my room, I used to actually make mixtapes off a boombox. I'd set up the radio dials on my boombox and I'd put a blank tape in and I'd press record and pause and I would sit there and wait for a song <laughs> to come on that I wanted or whatever I was doing at the time. And I'd record the song. The song went over, I'd press pause and I'd sit there for a whole day working on tapes. But then I graduated to, um, you know, making my own mixtapes. I want to make a classic rock mixtape or I want to make a a jazz mixtape or whatever the case may be. And then I actually, like after showing a couple of friends of mine these tapes, I'm like, wow, I'd love you to make me one of those. I started making mixtapes for friends. And I used to do it as Christmas presents for friends. And every year it built up and built up and built up. And at one point, this is going back to probably when I was in my late 20s, early 30s or whatever, I was making like 20 tapes a year for people. I'd have one going to go, oh, I got to have this song for this guy's tape. And I, so I'd like get all these tapes started. And as the year went on, I'd build them all up. And by the end of the year, I would have mixtapes for my friends and family. So me and mixtapes go way back. <laughs> that is time dedication. Bravo. I absolutely love it. Yeah, a little crazy, but it was fun. Not at all. That's a gift that shows you were thinking about that person throughout the whole year. So I think that's the gift that keeps on giving. Absolutely. All right. Well, I'm extremely excited for tonight's episode because tonight we are talking about the music of the cars, a band who, in no shock to anyone listening to me and who has heard any episodes before, knows that the cars 1978 self-titled album is my favorite album of all time. So for me, I'm in trouble because I kind of want to choose all nine songs from the self-titled album because to me, it's a masterpiece, but I'm going to do my best to represent music from across all of the band's albums, because even though their self-titled is my favorite album of all time, 
Albums like Candio and Heartbeat City are not too far behind, and I consider those two both front-to-back classics as well. So I'm going to have my work cut out for me tonight. Now, Joe, as someone who wrote a book detailing the life of Benjamin Orr, the band's bassist and co-lead singer, did you find it difficult to come up with a bank of songs to pull from for tonight's playlist curation? Um, I think the only thing that was a little difficult in putting this together was, you know, you start writing songs down and making a list, and all of a sudden you're halfway through that list and you're looking going, I got to start being really careful about what I'm choosing here to make sure I get a lot of my favorites on because there was just, even though they only did what? Including Move Like This, which happened later on, I think they only did like six studio albums. Yeah, it was six studio albums with Ben up to Door to Door and then Move Like This without Ben for the seventh. But there's still so many songs on every album. It's unbelievable. And I ran into the same kind of problem as you did with the debut album because just about every song on that album still gets played on classic rock radio. So I very easily could have done that. My personal favorite's Candy O, but it's more like a sentimental favorite. I kind of get it that the debut album is, is their best album. I mean, it's just from beginning to end. But Candy O kind of slipped in as my favorite. Those are my top two. So the, really the only problem with me was, okay, I've got three slots left and I've got all these songs. Which ones do I have to take? So that was the only problem I had was trying to come up with what ones I was going to use. Well, hopefully you and I have some overlap here. So that way, maybe we're helping each other out in a way. <laughs> True. I wrote down a whole bunch of stuff because I assume that, you know, if you're a Cars fan, I think there's a lot of standard songs that would be on just about anybody's Cars mixtape, you know? There's always going to be a few of those. So I had a feeling we'd probably run into a few duplicates along the way. That's for sure. Well, let's get down to business. Tonight, as I mentioned earlier, Joe and I will be curating the ultimate mixtape for the Cars, and we'll use the old cassette deck approach. Joe, as the guest curator, will begin side A with his first song choice, and then I'll add a song that I feel best follows up his choice. We'll then flip-flop choosing songs until we've mapped out 10 songs for side A. We'll then give our mixtape a proverbial flip, only this time I'll kick things off with Joe choosing second. Our overall goal for this episode is to craft the best Cars playlist possible through only 20 songs. At the end of the show, you could take our conversation to the next level by visiting the episode page at myweeklymixtape.com to give our final mixtape a listen via the embedded playlist. And if you like what you're hearing on the show, you can help me out by telling a friend about the show, leaving the show a five-star review wherever you're listening, or by becoming a Patreon mixtaper at patreon.com forward slash myweeklymixtape. And a few of our Patreon mixtapers chimed in with songs that they would kick off their Cars mixtape with. And I want to give a shout out to some of these and maybe give you and I some food for thought. Sounds good. Jason Donches said his path to the Cars was via You're All I've Got Tonight because the Smashing Pumpkins covered it in the 90s on one of their box sets. But he would also consider Bye Bye Love, but would have to hope the other curator followed up immediately with moving in stereo because those songs need to be back to back. And he thinks that should be a law in most States. Ben from the two vague podcasts said his pick will now and forever be don't you stop. And Sean Faust is torn between 
Good Times Roll, or Since You're Gone. And finally, Cactus Pete chimed in with, off of Heartbeat City, Magic. And Joe, with that, I'm officially pressing the record button on our Cars mixtape, and I'm passing the mic over to you. What song will you be using to kick things off tonight and why? Okay, so I'm gonna, those are interesting choices you read, by the way. Somebody wanting um, Don't You Stop. That's really, that's interesting. Yeah, that's certainly a deep cut off the self-title, but look, I'm all here for it. I feel it. Yeah, I mean, that is a deep cut for sure. So that's, that's interesting to hear that. I went more of a standard, in a standard direction, I guess. So I'm going to go with a little uh, shameless self-promotion here, and I'm going to declare the opening song to be Let's Go. It's a great way to start. You know, it sounds like the beginning of something. Let's go. Let's start this thing up. So I thought that would be a good choice. Obviously, it's the title of my book, but that's not the only reason I chose it. I think it's just a great, upbeat rock anthem, and uh, it's a jukebox favorite. And it was also the band's first top 20 hit. Even after that first album came out, they had several songs that were in the top 40, but nothing had cracked the top 20 yet. And Let's Go peaked at number 14 when it came out. So that's another little sidebar why I chose that. It happened to be like their first top 20 single. So I went with Let's Go to get it opened. Absolutely love the song. Really, it is the perfect opening song. And I'm glad you did that because in my heart of hearts, if I was going to start off, I would have to go with something from the self-titled. And if you did go with something from the self-titled album, I would have had a hard time immediately following up with a second one from the self-titled. So that makes my first song choice a little easier, but about the song, let's go Benjamin or on lead vocals, you get one side of this two headed monster. And I mean that in a good way, because you have two extremely competent and extremely talented lead singers in Benjamin or and Rick Ocasek, and their voices are not so far removed that a first time listener to the cars might not know that this band has two lead singers. And there's just something that there's this tonality about their voices that works so well together. And Let's Go is a very fun and exciting song. And it's one of the first ways my parents got me into the cars as well, because when I was growing up, one of my first record albums was Alvin and the Chipmunks, Chipmunk Punk. And on that album, they covered Let's Go. So as a kid, no I became a fan. Yes, 100%. I'll have to dig that up. I did not know that. That's funny. I like that. You know what? Alvin does a good job of it. He's not no Benjamin Orr, but he's all right. He's all right. You know, you are right about there. Um, it's funny because when this book came out, you know, I had a lot of Cars fans get a hold of me. Some who were already huge fans, other people that were just getting introduced to them. And I actually had some fans say to me, they thought Rick sang everything. There were actually some fans out there that didn't even realize that Ben also took lead on some of their songs. So it's really weird because they have a way, you're right, they do have a way of sounding alike because when I first started learning about and started researching the book, there were still a few times where I'm like, is that Rick or is that Ben? So they do have some similarities, but they also can go in the total opposite direction as well. You know, Rick has more of that. I'm going to say this word a lot during this whole episode, I know, but he's got that quirky kind of sound to his voice. Whereas Ben's more classic, more like a smooth crooner, 
type of voice, almost in an Elvis kind of way. He's a little more smooth. And um, Rick had even said himself that when he wrote songs, he didn't even um, say, well, I'm writing this. Oh, that's Ben's. Oh, I'm, I'm singing this song. He actually brought the songs into the studio when they would both give it a go. And then they would say, oh, that's definitely, you do that better. Or, you know, so they would kind of go back and forth in that way. Um, so there's even a lot of demos out there where Rick ended up singing the song on the album, but there's a demo where Ben sings it and vice versa. So you're right. There's a lot of similarities to their voice. And sometimes it takes you a minute to realize who it is. But there's other times where they go in opposite directions as well. So pretty interesting give and take there. By all means. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to balance the Benjamin or Rick Okasik scale right now. And like I said, I am going to go to the first album and I'm going to follow up Let's Go with the band's ode to rock and roll excess and the lead track off of the band's I'm a sucker for opening songs and the opening song on my favorite album of all time is Good Times Roll. And I think following up Let's Go, it's just perfect because Good Times Roll has that vibe about it that really describes everything the cars are. They're a little bit rock. They're a little bit punk. They're a little bit new wave. And they kind of mix it all together and craft a sound that completely ushered in a new era of music. And to me, this song is their hello to the world. If hello again on Heartbeat City is they're reintroducing themselves, this was the first time they showed up at the door. And I mean, first song on my favorite album of all time. So of course, I got to mention it first tonight. Good Times Roll from their self-titled. It makes a lot of sense. And you know, I was actually considering Good Times Roll as well. Obviously a great opening song, another anthem-like song. And Good Times Roll for me was actually the first car song I ever heard. And I remember, I can remember to this day, I'm in junior high school and I'm playing on my Babe Ruth baseball team and I'm hitching a ride to a game with my assistant coach and we got in his car and he plopped in an eight track tape of the first album and Good Times Rolled came on and hearing that car horn sounding um, keyboard sound at the very beginning. And I just remember looking at it going, what the hell is this? Um, just a whole totally different sound. Um, and you described it really well when you talk about how they blend elements of different styles. They're a little bit rock. They're a little bit new wave. They can even get a little punky. They're a little pop. So to me, the cars are all of these types of sounds all kind of blended together. And I think that's what makes the cars so distinctive. I mean, you hear a car song, you know it's them. I mean, nobody sounds like them. And I think that's another reason why their music has been so enduring all these years, because I mean, it's been so long since they even put anything out, but you still hear their music on TV commercials and radio spots, and it's still all over the place because I think their music's timeless. So I agree. That's definitely a good choice to, to kick off with, for sure. Well, now I'm throwing it back to you to follow up with track three. Okay. So I told you about how I go way back with making mixtapes. And something I, I'm not even sure why I developed this, but one thing I tried to do was when I was making a mixtape for say one particular band, I would take all the music I had by them. So all their albums, and I would want to put a little bit of everything on the tape. So I didn't want to go heavy, you know, and put five or six songs from one album, but only do one from another. So I tried my best to 
kind of spread it out. And I also, for some reason, would not go from a band's first album to their third album, back to the second, over to their sixth. I would like start at the beginning. I'm going to take something off the first album. Then I'm going to take something off the second. And then I'm going to take something off the third. And I just have this routine I do. So I had to do it that way here. So obviously I started with Let's Go, which is off the second album. So now I have to go back and revert to my old way of doing things and go back to the first album and start there, even though I know you had one. So the first album is really tough because I was actually going to try to cheat, but I didn't think I'd get away with it. Because to me, that whole side too was one song. <laughs> You're all I've got tonight into Bye Bye Love, into Moving in Stereo, into All Mixed Up. It's hard to listen to those. Not hard to, but I oftentimes wouldn't listen to them separately because they all just flow together and you feel like you got to listen to them all at once. I actually have, I have ripped Bye Bye Love, Moving in Stereo, and All Mixed Up as a single track on my phone. I feel like You're All I've Got Tonight has a definitive ending, but the three songs that follow that up, I've always felt, are one complete piece between the three songs. I, I can't hear Bye Bye Love and not hear Moving in Stereo coming out of it. So I completely see where you're going with that. Yeah, and I, I well, when I said I was going to try to cheat, I really didn't think he'd let me get away with <laughs> counting four songs or three songs as one. So if I got to split them up, um, I decided to go with, it's hard to say what your favorite car song is, but this is arguably one of my two or three favorite car songs. I went with Bye Bye Love. Just a great song, and I love Ben's vocal in it. And, uh, you know, I didn't know where this whole thing was going to go. So I had to make sure that I got that in as soon as possible because I'm trying to make sure I get most of my favorite songs in here somehow. So if I had to break it up, I figured that would be the first one to chip off. <laughs> to me, that is power pop perfection. This is the side of the cars where when people listen to Heartbeat City and they say, oh my God, the cars went pop. They were never like this. I always point back to Bye Bye Love because that is the sound that they just enhanced a little bit more on Heartbeat City. So the power pop was always a signature of this band. And that guitar work by Elliot Easton, the guitar solo in Bye Bye Love is so perfect, so musical and so underrated that it's probably one of the best songs on the album. And it wasn't a massive hit. It, it's played on rock radio, but it wasn't one of the lead singles from the album. So if it wasn't for stations right. in New York, like 1027 playing album sides, like they did back when I was growing up, this song, I feel like got its push on radio from those album sides because the second half of the car self-titled is an absolute masterpiece. And Following it up with track four, just like Patreon mixtaper Jason Donches said at the top of the show, the last thing I want to do is get arrested. And I 100% agree. You cannot have Bye Bye Love and follow it up with anything other than Moving in Stereo. So track four, I am following it right up with Moving in Stereo, showing a different side of Benjamin's voice. Benjamin's voice in Bye Bye Love is very upbeat, very lively, perfect for the pop sensibility. 
even though the song had lyrics that might not have leaned that way. Substitution, mass confusion, clouds inside your head does not really sound like an upbeat, airy power pop single. However, the cars were able to make it work with that balance. Then you slide into moving in stereo and he drops into this lower register and it's very ethereal, very dark, brooding almost. And it's so perfect because it's a complete 180 where you're taken to this whole other place musically, but yet they really push and pull off each other so well. So I have to follow up Bye Bye Love with Moving in Stereo. And then obviously, if I don't mention it, given my age at the time, Fast Times at Ridgemount High also cemented that song into my DNA in other ways other than musically. (laughs) I'm in the same boat. I know exactly what you mean. And you're right about Bye Bye Love. I think um, because, yeah, it wasn't released as a single. And um, so I think that actually got some juice, if you will was from getting played on FM radio. Because when that album came out, WBCN in Boston was what I would listen to when I was younger. And um, of course, they helped launch the cars. They were playing, uh, you know, Maxine Sartori, who was a famous DJ from Boston. She's iconic for, you know, helping Aerosmith get started. She also helped the cars get started. And I talk about it in my book about how before they were the band previously, they were called Captain Swing before mm-hmm. they turned into the cars. And Bye Bye Love was actually a Captain Swing song. It was one of the few songs that they actually brought over into the cars. So I was hearing, I heard Bye Bye Love on the radio right when the album came out. And I think that's how it got its juice. Because, yeah, it's, um, I still hear it on classic rock radio. And you were also right to mention uh, Elliot's guitar solo on that song. About as precise and pristine and perfect as you can get, I think, for sure. All right, we are back to you following up Bye Bye Love and Moving in Stereo. We've already overlapped, so I'll be, uh, <laughs> obviously I had that uh, set up as one of my songs. So, okay, so going back to my formula, so now I've taken a song from the first two albums, so now I have to go to the third album with uh, Panorama, which is a very unique album, probably their most misunderstood album, I think, because... Even though Candy O was quite a bit different from the first album, the two were still kind of in the same vein. And with their third album, Rick consciously wanted to do something different. It really took the record company by surprise, and they almost didn't want them to go forth with Panorama. They wanted them to actually like re-record some other things because they weren't too sure about it because it's definitely a much different and darker kind of album than the other ones. So... Going through Panorama, I decided to go with the one single from the album, and it, the one that got some pretty good radio play, and that's Touch and Go. Touch and Go is such a unique song. It's hard to even describe, but it, it's such an offbeat song, and it's so different. And the amazing thing is it still entered the top 40, even though it wasn't your typical rock song, pop song. Chorus, bridge, solo, you know, it's a totally different kind of feel to it. It's really mysterious and dark sounding. It's it's a lot of offbeat time signatures. So it isn't necessarily something that's conducive to radio. But like I said, it did get some radio play and it cracked the top 40. It did number 37 um, when Panorama came out. I think it's also their their least selling album, if you will. But it did go platinum. And uh, it took a long time for people to get used to Panorama, but I do think it gets more respect now 
um, as the years have gone by. So instead of trying to go with one of the more offbeat beat cuts, I decided to go with the one single and went with Touch and Go. It's a great song. I feel like you hit the nail on the head. It is their most misunderstood album, and I would say their most underrated album because there's a lot of angst and aggression in this album that you don't hear on other Cars albums. And this is where Rick's tongue-in-cheek lyrics have a little bit more of a sharp edge to them. They cut a little deeper, and the music just kind of goes along with that lyric theme. And I actually understand why the band chose Touch and Go as the single from this album, because it is really the most musically digestible compared to some of the other songs like the title track and Give Me Some Slack that are much more intense compared to the sounds that people were used to from the self-titled and Candio. So following that up for track six, I'm going to go in another direction. I'm going to stick with a Rick Ocasek song, but I'm a sucker for album openers. And I think the boldest album open that the Cars ever did was when they took a chance and opened up an album with a power ballad. And that would be 1981's Shake It Up and the song Since You're Gone. One of my absolute favorite songs from then growing up. I can tell you right now, Wildwood, New Jersey. I was maybe four or five years old and they took me on the boardwalk and we played that game where you would bet on a color and then someone would throw a beach ball into a wrestling ring of holes and whichever color the beach ball landed in the hole, if you had your money on that color, you won a prize. Well, I had picked blue, the ball went into the blue hole And I want a copy of the Cars, Shake It Up on vinyl, and I've had it ever since. And Since You're Gone was the first song I ever heard when I dropped the needle on that album. And I just fell in love with it. The opening snaps, the guitar. Elliot's guitar is so beautiful. It's distorted, but it's smooth. And it works so well. And you could feel the heartache in this song. And to open up an album whose lead single is so upbeat and happy. To have such a kind of crushing lyrical open is a bold move by the band and one that I think definitely needs to be recognized here. So I am following up Touch and Go with Since You're Gone from Shake It Up. That's a good choice. I'm taking notes as I go along here because, yes, that's one that I had picked. So that's a great choice. One thing that really amazed me about Regina's songwriting is how He could create such a quirky, there's that word again, atmosphere in his lyrics and the music, but somehow it's radio friendly because Since You're Gone was a hair shy of making the top 40 as a single. It peaked at number 41 when it came out. So, you know, to have such another, such a quirky offbeat kind of song to be able to hit the charts and stay there for a while is really, uh, a unique thing. And the guitar, Elliot just seems to come up with these unique and precise guitar solos, which really seems to always tie everything together, uh, no matter how offbeat a song might be by them. So yeah, I agree. That's a great choice. All right. Now we're throwing back to you to follow it up. Okay. So let's see, going in my, you know, uniform direction here, I did something from Panorama. So the next album they did was Shake It Up, 
And, um, you know, I looked at Shake It Up and I decided to uh, throw a little curveball in here, or at least I think it's probably considered a curveball. Um, I went with A Dream Away. Ooh. Um, this song is highly underrated to me, and it's just so dreamlike, and it just has this magical kind of feel to it, and it's like there's like a mystery about it. And lyrically, it, what amazes me about this song is lyrically, it just it seemingly makes no sense at all. You know, I've, I've sat there and looked at the r- lyrics and read them. I've tried to read it as a poem. I've tried to read it as a story. And you just can never quite put your finger on what the hell Rick is really talking about <laughs> in the song. The way he blends things together. And even though these lyrics make no sense, they're seemingly perfect. The way they sound together, it's just, it's hard for me to fathom it, you know, to just read these lyrics and go, that absolutely makes no sense, but they're perfect. It's like, I wouldn't change a word. So that always amazed me. And, you know, once again, he just takes a, such a quirky offbeat song and turns it into a, a radio song. It somehow gets played on the radio, even though it's just a quirky thing. I guess you would consider that a curveball. And that is a curveball. Definitely. And I like it because following it up, I have a curve ball as well. So you're throwing a curve and I'm throwing a curve. Maybe that'll put us right back on track where we need to be. One thing I love about the cars is the fact that they have two very competent lead singers and something I would, I'd like to do on each side of my cars mixtapes is have a song that features both Rick and Ben as the lead vocalist. And there's not many in the cars catalog. However, on heartbeat city, one of the heaviest songs on the album is the incredible. It's not the night, which includes both Ben and Rick on lead vocals. This song is heavy. It's intense. It's a song about sweet, sweet revenge. And you feel it. You feel it in this song. And the fact that this song wasn't a single, has always shocked me because it's one of the most powerful songs on Heartbeat City. And I know when you have songs like Magic, you might think Hello Again, Drive, all massive, massive hits. I can understand where It's Not the Night doesn't fit in with those, but across the entire Cars catalog, I can't have a mixtape without this one because of its uniqueness and rarity in the catalog of both singing lead on one song. So I am following up a dream away with it's not the night from heartbeat city. Wow. So we got back to back really deep cuts. That's really cool. And you know, as I went along here, I was trying my best consciously trying my best not to go too far one way. You know, I don't want to start throwing a curveball every other pitch, you know? And uh, so I tried to like, keep it balanced somehow. So after we both go with the curveballs, I, I said to myself, okay, so my last two songs have been Touch and Go and A Dream Away, which are both kind of really quirky guitar songs. So I figured I'd better go back to the mainstream a little bit. So I went to the next album after Shake It Up, keeping in my order. And so I'm at Heartbeat City 2. And um, I decided to go with a radio-friendly track this time. And as one of your... Um, listeners had typed into you, I went with magic. 
Nice. It's just a happy-go-lucky, upbeat, you know, summertime song. And I still have the visual of the video because the video was so huge on MTV when this album came out of Rick walking on water. It's like a pool, an mm -hmm. underground pool setting and Rick's walking on the water there. And, um, and also, I just love um, Ben Orr's uh, badass bass lines on that song. Um, I really love his deep bass on that track. Um, so I decided to go a little mainstream and pick something off the radio. And uh, so that's why I went with Magic. I didn't write down. I think Magic actually was a top 20 single. So I kind of went a little radio friendly this time and try to smooth things out a little with Magic. I think it's great. I love that track. If you go back and listen to my interview with Will Turpin of Collective Soul, we talk about how Magic from Heartbeat City is a influence to Collective Soul's song Hollywood. So if you ever listen to the song Hollywood by Collective Soul, it's kind of their nod to Rick Ocasek and the Cars and this song. So I think that's a great one. I love this song. To me, that video was just part of the MTV revolution. As a kid, seeing this tall, lanky guy just walking across a pool singing, it was so 80s, but it worked so well. And Heartbeat City, my parents had a VHS of all the videos from it. And oh, there yeah, were yeah. some strange, memorable videos during that time. That's all I'll say for now, because I have a feeling we'll touch on Heartbeat City some more tonight. So closing out side A, the cars know how to end sides really, really well. And they know how to end albums really, really well. So this one is actually easy for me to have a bank of songs just in and of itself of where to end because it's the end of a side and they know how to end strong. So I'm at a toss up right now between two closing songs both from the same album. It's the side A and side B closer. And I think I'm going to lean towards the side B closer because I'm just feeling coming out of magic. We need to talk about the dangerous type. I'm going back to Candio. I don't think they could have picked a better closer for that album. And it has such a tasty Elliot Easton riff that just drives with the kick drum as it's opening. And the song again, has this pop sensibility. So when Letters to Cleo covered the song for the Crafts soundtrack in the 90s and added that layer of pop to it, it made the song reinvigorated again for a whole new generation. And that's because the Cars already had pop sensibility and Letters to Cleo just put their little bit of a spin on it and reinvented it, but they didn't reinvent the song. Because the song's mm. pop nature was already there. And I love the lyrics of this song. I love the guitar work in it. And it's, again, a perfect closer for either a side or an album. So closing out side A, Dangerous Type from Candio. That's a great track. And, you know, I'm learning something. You learn something new every day because I didn't know that Letters to Khalil covered that song. So I've already made a note of it. I'm going to go check it out for sure. Oh, it's great. And they were a very good Boston band. So obviously they felt the car's influence. That's really cool. Yep. I had dangerous type as one of my songs listed so that I agree with that. That's a great choice. Absolutely. All right. Well, there you have it, folks. Side a of our ultimate mixtape of the cars, which kicked off with let's go. 
Good Times Roll, Bye Bye Love, Moving in Stereo, Touch and Go, Since You're Gone, A Dream Away, It's Not the Night, Magic, and Dangerous Type. Head over to MyWeeklyMixtape.com to hear all the songs we've discussed in this mix through the playlist embedded on the episode page. Hello, Pantheon Podcast listeners. Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house. And my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once, new quick charge function, three customizable sound styles, plus awareness mode, available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So, what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right, you'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com pantheon. Buyraycon.com pantheon. Now, Joe, we've been talking about your book on and off throughout the night so far, but I guess my first question, what made you gravitate towards writing a book specifically about Benjamin Orr and not the cars as a whole? Because when you think about the members of this band, all the members have led really unique and interesting musical careers. Yeah. So I'll make it as brief as possible explaining how I came up with the idea to write or how it came about. Because it actually happened by happenstance. So we're going back quite a ways now because it took me a long time to put this book together because I was kind of doing it in my spare time. You know, I'm a full-time job. I got a family and I can't just sit in my office and write a book eight hours a day. So it actually, like in doing all the interviews I did and stuff, and of course, Ben was no longer with us, so I couldn't interview him. So what's the best thing to do? Interview as many people who knew him as possible. So this is a very long grueling process and people think I'm exaggerating when I say this, but I'm not. The book literally took me a decade to complete. So it was a long time coming. But going all the way back to the beginning of the, so I was already a, a music journalist and a freelance writer, but all my writing, all my music writing revolved around uh, local newspapers and a couple of rock magazines. So when I decided I finally wanted to tackle a book, I had a short list of ideas that I was thinking about doing. And so this, to give you an idea, this goes back to the original so- social media MySpace. I had a MySpace account and on it, I you know listed my personal information, said that I was a music writer from Boston, listed some of my favorite bands. I had listed the Cars as one of my influences. Well, a f- female fan of the Cars saw my MySpace page and sent me a message and said, you should write a book about Ben Orr. And I, exactly what you said earlier, I went back to her and said, well, 
why would I write about Ben? Why don't I just, why, why wouldn't I want to just write about the cars in general? And her only reply was, I think you should just investigate it. A lot of people don't know about Ben and what he did in his life. I think you should take a look at it. So I did. I investigated Ben, did some research, and I found out some things about him that I didn't know, such as um, he's originally from Cleveland, which is the home of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. So I thought that was pretty cool. I also learned that he was a childhood star in his town, if you will. Ben started playing instruments when he was like 12. He started out as a drummer. And then by 17, he was a guitar player. And he actually was fronting his own band in Cleveland at age 17. The band was called the Grasshoppers. So this is like in the mid-50s. So here's this teenage kid fronting his own band. Well, there was a TV show in Cleveland back then, a music television show that was called And it was kind of like Cleveland's version of American Bandstand. They brought in professional musicians who had the hit of the day and they would lip sync their songs. So it was just like that same format as American Bandstand. The only thing different that Upbeat did was when they would go to and from commercials, they would have a house band there that would play music to come in and out of commercials. And the house bands, they would go into the city of Cleveland and find local bands that they thought were good to be on the show, to do the intros and outros. And hmm. Ben's band was chosen. So this kid's 17 years old. He's not even out of school yet. And he's fronting a band and he's on like a nationally televised. And the show ended up being nationally syndicated until the early 70s. So it was seen in like 60 cities across the country. And I'm thinking to myself, this kid was like a star. And this was like 15 years before he even met Rick. So I learned all these things about him. Like, oh my God, this kid was a rock star in his hometown before he even thought about being a member of the Cars. So these types of, just that's what hooked it for me right there. I just said, I got to tell this guy's story. So that's how I decided to write about Ben. I just thought his early life was really cool. And he worked hard and met Rick in Ohio. And they, they went through a lot together. A lot of people might think that it's easy to become a rock star. These guys toiled away in bars for like 10 years, starving to death before they ever even got a sniff of a record deal. Awesome. Well, piggybacking off what you were talking about, a lot of Cars fans aren't even familiar with the Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young or America-esque sounding pre-Cars band called Milkwood which featured Rick Ocasek and Benjamin Orr. It's an album that I've been trying to get my hands on a CD reissue for for years. I just can't find it. If you're lucky enough to stumble across the vinyl in a used bin, please pick it up and let me know about it, obviously, because I've been long searching for this one. But if you go on YouTube, there's a song on there called Dream Trader, which I'll embed over at the episode page at myweeklymixtape.com. Even though the band as a whole isn't what people expect to hear when someone mentions the cars, I, for one, hear the foundation of the cars being laid down in a song like Dream Trader. Yeah, you know, I'm going to be totally honest. I never really clicked with the Milkwood album. Not saying it's bad, and I know what they were doing. I mean, this is like 1971 or so when they were doing the whole Milkwood thing. Mm-hmm. And in that early 70s thing, the whole acoustic coffee houses, like you said, the Crosby, Stills, Nash kind of feel, that was huge at the time. 
And these guys had already been, Rick and Ben had already been together for a decade trying to make it. So that was big at the time. And they were in Boston, tons of coffee houses in Boston. Actually, Rick and Ben performed as a duo for a while, just the two of them playing acoustic guitars. So they tried to jump on that train, if you will. That whole acoustic vibe was just big at the time. And that's why they did it. But it was short-lived. And uh, it wasn't too long before, you know, Rick decided to strip it all down and go back to being a straight-up rock band. I don't possess that Milkwood album. I've seen it a couple of times. Um, and the times I've seen it, the price tag was too rich for me. Yeah, I'm going to be too rich for me if I like the album. I, I just, I'm like, I can't do this. I mean, you can find copies that on eBay. People are asking for like a couple hundred bucks for a copy of that album. Um, so it is rare. And I guess I shouldn't say I wouldn't want to have it, but I haven't gone out of my way. And, you know, it's funny because Rick and Ben both kind of cringe a little when they look back on the Milkwood thing. But don't get me wrong, just because I don't like it doesn't mean somebody else won't. And I've talked to plenty of Cars fans who love that Milkwood album. So that's only one man's opinion. Of course, it reminds me of the way people feel about Billy Joel's pre-Billy Joel project, Attila. So it's kind of along that same lines. It's just not what they're used to hearing. So 100%, I get that. Yep. And here we are in 2023 in a world that unfortunately no longer has Rick and Benjamin in it. Just curious, in 2007... Elliot Easton and Greg Hawks got together with Todd Rundgren and performed as the new cars. Do you yep. think a one-off tour celebrating the band's legacy, obviously now that they're both passed would be in good taste because I'm not going to lie. I was half debating, including their song, not tonight with a little asterisk next to it in my bank of songs for tonight, because you had Elliot, you had Greg and it really felt like a long lost car song. So I don't know. Having never seen the original lineup live, I almost wish that this lineup of 2007 would get together and maybe do a celebration of the band's music for one more run. I would welcome it. I really would. You'd be surprised. And I didn't realize this until, you know, once the book came out and I had, you know, Cars fans and Ben fans coming to me and, you know, approaching me about how I put the book together and stuff. A lot of people didn't like the fact that they tried to do that. But there's a lot of Cars tribute bands out there, like mm -hmm. right now. Yes. And they do a great job. So if it's okay for tribute bands to do their thing and you like hearing them, you know, recreate the Cars music, what's wrong with having actual legendary musicians put something like that together? And I mean, if Greg and even David Robinson, who I know wasn't in the new Cars, right. and Elliot, if they were, wanted to do it and felt like it was, you know, a fair representation, why wouldn't you want to see it? I mean, I'm not trying to say that Todd Rundgren is, you know, going to personify Rick Ocasek, if you will, but Todd Rundgren's a legend. I mean, he's one of, he's a, one of my all-time favorite musicians. I would welcome it if they tried to do it again. Um, I, I don't see any harm in it at all. You know, it's paying tribute. You know, tribute band? You know, it's mm -hmm. because you love them and you want to continue to keep their music alive and share it with everybody. Um, so I'd be totally up for that. That was a great band, too. Never mind the drummer, Prairie Prince, who was an original member of the Tubes. Yep, I mean, yep. you got some class A musicians there 
wanting to recreate that stuff. So I, I would welcome it. I really would. Same here. Well, now we are flipping the tape over to side B and I'm going to kick things off. And again, I think I might've mentioned this before tonight, but the car's self-titled album is my favorite album of all time. And being, I get to pick the first song for side B. I thought what more perfect way to start off side B than with one of the band's most thunderous songs, the song that started side B on their self-titled album, you're all I've got tonight. Patreon mixtaper Jason Donches talked about the Smashing Pumpkins cover that took place in the 90s. And I'll just say this. Smashing Pumpkins did a great job rocking this song out. However, the Cars version was heavier. David Robinson's drums are like thunder on that original version. There was something about the reverb that they added and the drum sound that they achieved on this album that made the song feel so massive that even the Smashing Pumpkins, which are inherently a heavier band, not sound as heavy as the Cars. So kicking off side two, you're all I've got tonight. That's a great choice. And you know, I'm going to have to shift because guess what I was going to pick next? <laughs> <laughs> you're all I've got tonight. <laughs> you're all I've got tonight was going to be my next choice Um. Just a straight up classic rock radio song. I mean, you know, how can you go wrong with it? And like you said, it's a great opener for side two of that album. And so the four songs on side two that I feel are all one, I knew eventually it was all going to happen. They were all going to fall into place. Uh, <laughs> so I'm going to have to switch gears. That's a great choice, obviously. I mean, that's what was up next for me. So I had mentioned to you, I've already said it a few times, how I tend to go album to album to make sure I cover everything. Well, my last choice was from Heartbeat City. So the next album was Door to Door. And I took a hard look at it. And I decided in the end to not choose anything from Door to Door. But not because I didn't think anything was worthy of being on a mixtape, but because Door to Door was a tough album for them. There was already a lot of bad blood going on between the band members or some of the band members. The writing was on the wall already that the band was probably not going to survive much longer um i mean they ended up doing a very short tour for door to door it just didn't last very long and um they had kind of taken a different approach by then in earlier cards albums rick would come in with a batch of songs but the rest of the band would have a say you know whether it be changing the music a little bit maybe not necessarily the lyrics the lyrics were all rick but the rest of the band members would, would add to the mix and they would create and re-record things once they got in the studio. Well, by the time Door to Door came around, for lack of a better way of saying it, the cars had pretty much turned into a dictatorship by then. Rick was pretty much leading the show. He was writing everything. He was writing all the music. As a matter of fact, when they entered the studio to do Door to Door, he like already had demo songs on a, on a tape and it was pretty much saying, here, learn this. So the other guys in the band weren't really able to give their two cents anymore by this point. So because of those reasons, I just felt like too many truly iconic car songs were going to get left off the list, even if it's just one. So I had a couple of songs in mind for Door to Door. And if we were like picking today and I was picking 20 songs, a song from Door to Door would have made it. And I probably would have went with the title track, Door to Door. It's an upbeat, fast song. It was almost like a punky kind of song. Whereas the other songs in the album are 
a little more wishy-washy, if you will. They were kind of getting away from the hard rocking sound. It was almost like a country western kind of feel in a couple of the songs. Um, so I don't dislike the album, but it's definitely my least favorite. So I decided to go by door to door and not include anything. So naturally, I would go back to the first album again. But seeing as though you just picked something off the first album, I'm going to go away from the first album and I'm going to go back to Candy O because it's, I mean, maybe not as many iconic songs as on the first album, but Candy O is just full of hook-laden rock songs that you just can't go wrong with. So I decided to go with, as one song, Shoot Me Do into Candy O. So the reason I did this is I really like how it has the quirky part of Shooby Doo, where it shows Rick at his quirky finest. Um, and then it goes right into the polar opposite of Ben singing Candy O. So it goes from this fast, quirky, punky kind of thing, and it just kind of segues into a more smooth crooning kind of sound with Candy O, with Ben doing almost like his Elvis impersonation kind of thing. But I just think I like the way. The quirky and the smooth, cool Ben going back to back. And you would think the polar opposites wouldn't allow it to mesh, but it somehow still does. Um, and like I said, to this day, it amazes me how Rick could make such quirky music and have it be so popular and get on the radio and, and have people love it. So you had already chosen Dangerous Type. I had that listed too as one of my songs. So trying to pick one that, you know, I went with Let's Go for the first go around. Why what would should be doing candy o for this pick? Absolutely love it. And like I told you on side A, I have ripped on my phone Bye Bye Love, Moving in Stereo, and All Mixed Up. I also have ripped on my phone Double Life, Shooby Doo, and Candio as a single track. Because when I hear the opening of Double Life, I can't not hear Shooby Doo coming out of it. And Shooby Doo almost feels like this Pink Floyd psychedelic just acid trip in the middle of these two other rock songs. And it's so perfect because it doesn't make sense in between those two songs. And that was what the cars were so good at. And Candio, you're right. Ben hits this Elvis like delivery where he's almost crooning the song and it really fits so perfectly against that backdrop, which was again, that punkier side of the power pop of the cars. So following that up in track three, I'm going to take the heaviness of Candio because there is a little bit of a heft to it and I'm oh, yeah. going to crank it up and I'm going to follow you chronologically because we had self-titled and candio i'm gonna follow your playbook here and go to panorama and i'm gonna go with my favorite song on the album that wasn't released as a single should have been but the band i feel like made up for it because in the 90s they included it on the just what i needed two cd rhino set so they basically admitted that maybe it was a hit in waiting and it's the hefty don't tell me no wow to me, that song shows the rock side of the cars the way It's Not the Night does it on Heartbeat City. And it's an element of the cars that I wanted to make sure I touched on both sides. So I knew whatever side had It's Not the Night 
The other side would have to have Don't Tell Me No or vice versa. I wanted to make sure I split up those songs on each side because every side of every Cars mixtape I've made growing up had to have a little bit of the heft. And I feel like It's Not the Night for Side A and Don't Tell Me No for Side B makes that happen. That's very interesting because, you know, when I was going through all this, you know, I'm like, okay, I can't take a lot from Panorama, but I got to take a couple. And that was one I didn't take. Really? Yeah. But that's cool. I think it's very interesting because now you've got me thinking. Now it's like, well, wait a minute. You know, he's right. I should have probably given that a, a more attention. So I really like that choice. That is a great pick. And I really liked how it's starting to seem like we were both trying to create a balance. I want to do some curveballs and some quirky or some deeper cuts. But you don't want to go too far that way and like not lose interest, but you got to keep it balanced. You know, they right. got to have some of the hits in there too. And you're going to make me uh, kind of change gears again, because if I'm going in my chronological order after picking something from Candy O, Panorama would be next for me. So now that you're taking a Panorama song, I got to go past that and I am going to go to, um, I want to go back to Shake It Up. Nope. Okay, here's where I'm going. I'm going to go to Heartbeat City. All right. Um, I picked one Heartbeat City song so far, and that was Magic. So this song, I really went back and forth about this because if I was going to be the only person listening to this tape, I probably would have left this song off. Not because I don't love it and not because it's not iconic. Um, We just hear it a lot. And there's other songs that I think piqued my interest a little bit more. So there's other songs I would have went with. But I'm going to pick Drive. And to me, it wouldn't seem right to have this mixtape without Drive because it was their biggest hit. Um, It reached number three on the Billboard album chart. Um, And I think it was only the second or third song that got into the top 10 of theirs. So it was their highest charting song. I wouldn't say most popular song, but probably most well-known song. I mean, when that song came out, you weren't just hearing it on, you were hearing it on rock stations. You were hearing it on pop stations. You were hearing it on AM radio, like adult contemporary stations that like, you know, 60-year-olds listen to. So I think if you're, say you're talking to a 70-year-old woman who has never heard the cars before, she might have heard Drive. Oh, I remember that song. When the band was in the studio recording this album and it came time to do Drive. So I, had, I did a couple of um, exclusive interviews with David Robinson, the drummer. And he said something that amazed him about Ben was he didn't have to prepare to do anything. Like they all go into the studio and he would just be like having a cup of coffee and smoking a cigarette. And they were like, okay, you ready? Oh yeah, I'm ready. And like, you ready? And like, then these guys used to like really have to prepare and like get focused mentally and do whatever they had to do to get ready to record. Ben was nonchalant. David Robinson called it his Frank Sinatra persona. (laughs) He said when they went to record Drive, he, he told me, he's like, I'm telling you the honest to God truth. Ben was sitting there smoking a cigarette and they said, you ready to record Drive? And he said, yep. And he went in there and he did it in one take. No overdubs, no wanna try it again. No, let's do a couple of tracks and see what sounds better. He did that in one take. He put a cigarette down. 
He went in there, he sang it, he walked back out, picked his cigarette back up, and like like it was nothing. And David Robinson said it was like the most amazing thing to see this guy, how he just did it so effortlessly. So that just all that little story always pops into my head whenever I talk about drive or hear drive. So for all those reasons, I just I couldn't leave it off. You don't have to defend that song one bit. There's a reason why 6AM has covered it. There's a reason Cavo has covered it. There's a reason that they put out a symphonic version of the song recently with the original track and it became a hit all over again. There's a reason why it's been featured in countless movies. The song's iconic. It's the defining Cars hit. Because it is their highest charting song. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with going with the crowd pleasers, especially because that brings a lighter side, a complete 180 from the don't tell me no. It shifts gears and kind of resets the palette for me to bounce off of. And one thing I wanted to do on both sides was kind of create a balance with my picks. And on side A, I used It's Not the Night as a heavy song. But I also used it as a song where both Ben and Rick sang lead vocals. And I want to make sure I include that on side B as well. And I'm going to include that by going back to Candio. And I'm going to go with the power pop perfection of Since I've Held You. If Bye Bye Love was the car's self-titled, hey, here's where the car's power pop origins came from its logical follow-up is since i've held you beautiful vocals their voices bouncing off each other elliot easton's lead guitar over the end of the song when they're just going it's been a long time and he's just wailing the lead it is probably one of the most underrated songs in the band's entire discography and i'm shocked it wasn't an absolute smash single from this album. I am absolutely shocked because it's all I can do. The song after it did get traction, but I think since I held you as much as I love both songs is just in another universe. So a deep cut, maybe I don't think it should be though. So I am following up drive with since I've held you. Wow. And you know, that is considered a deep cut. I mean, I consider it a deep cut. But I'm telling you, you're giving me some things to think about because I had that on my list of Candio songs. I don't think it made my final list, but it was on there. It was on there. And you're right. It is a very underrated song. The guitar solo was just masterful. I tell you, those first two albums, man, probably took, okay, let's just go back and forth between the first two albums and there's your 20 songs. I mean, if we were going to be lazy about it, you probably could have gotten away with it. And made a great argument for it, too. No one's oh, going to yeah. argue any song off the first two albums. Absolutely. that That's a really good choice. So with that, Joe, we're back to you for track six. Okay, so I know that these songs belong together, and we can't really do that. But I got to make sure that I get all mixed up in there. It's like a perfect ending to not just side two, but the album as a whole. And I think it's the band's masterpiece. I think that whole side just goes together so seamlessly to me. And um, I just had to make sure that all mixed up gets on there. Um, Ben's vocal is incredible. That little embellishment saxophone from Greg Hawks at the end of the song. 
Um, it just seems like just a perfect fade out to this album. And it's just one of my favorite car songs. Um, like I've, you know, like I've said multiple times, that whole, that whole second side, making sure that gets in there. We've, we've got them all from that side too. By all means, every mixtape my father made of the cars had all four of those songs somewhere. They never not made it. And I'm glad that that continues tonight. I love the fact that you brought up the underrated saxophone solo by Greg Hawks, because it really comes from out of left field because it's not like saxophone was all over this album. And it seems like it's coming from out of left field. But when you listen to the song, it's such a cinematic ending to this album. It really feels like a movie climax musically. So I love the pick. Obviously, say no more about the album. Of course, I love it. So following that up for track seven, you explained at the beginning of the side that you weren't going to go to door to door. But because some of the songs that you've chosen were on my list, that's leaving me a little room to go to door to door and acknowledge one song just because I've been covering it for years with my group. Colburn and Company. I love the song. Again, I get to pick a song that includes both Rick and Ben singing, so it keeps that piece of the puzzle going. And it is kind of a sad song because it is their last top 40 hit. And I'm going to go with You Are the Girl from Door to Door. Now, on Move Like This, Sad Song did reach number 33 on the Rock Songs chart. But when we're talking about top 40 hits... You Are the Girl is the final Cars top 40 hit. And there's there's a bittersweet part to that. The video, they were still trying to go for the Heartbeat City stuff in 1987 when Heartbeat City was several years earlier. And the music video scene had changed at that time because Mm. it was a lot of your hair bands were coming to proximity in 1987. Your Motley Crue's, your Guns N' Roses. The music video landscape was changing. And I feel like this song didn't do well because of that landscape. And had the band picked a song like Double Trouble, another Ben-led vocal, with that hard rock scene happening, I feel like Double Trouble might have made more of an impact. But I'm going to go with You Are the Girl to follow up all mixed up. That's an interesting choice for sure. That's a great song. It really is. And you know, I think, by the time Door to Door came out, like I mentioned, there was some turmoil going on in the band and they were kind of losing some momentum by then. And I think um, the, the, the record label didn't put a lot of money into the promotion of it. It was a very short tour. And I think it wasn't too long after that album was released and the tour finished that they kind of announced that they were breaking up. So I just think it was kind of like, I hate to say it, but it was almost like the end of the road it seemed like for the band at the time. So I think that's why door to door kind of gets overlooked. But you know, I am glad that you picked something from it because I was feeling kind of guilty that I (laughs) said, you know, I had a door to door. I was going to pick the title track just because I thought it was a a harder driving song. It had some rock elements to it, but that's a really cool choice. I'm glad you picked something from door to door. Okay. So, you know, you talked a little bit before about what I thought about the new cars. And if that was disrespectful or not, that kind of thing. So this kind of, in a way, almost goes hand in hand with that. 
And I really struggled with this one for a while, um, going back to that same premise of, look at all these songs that I haven't picked that are just iconic. How can I pick this kind of off the wall or curveball kind of song when all these legendary songs are still out there? But I'm going to do it. And um, I was inspired by you talking about the new cars. So I went and picked a song from the one album they did without Ben, Move Like This. Came out in 2011. The band didn't even try to replace Ben. Greg Hawks did some bass work. And the man who produced the album, I didn't really know of him before that, but um, his name is uh, Jack Knife Lee. I guess this guy is a bass player too. So they didn't even want to try to replace Ben. They just like, nah, well, you can play bass. You, you do it. Kind of a thing. And you know, I get mixed reviews from Cars fans. There's some Cars fans out. Ben's not there. They don't even want to give it a try. And then there's other Cars fans that say, well, if it's the Cars and it's Rick, I'm going to listen to it. So it kind of gets mixed reviews. And I don't know if you've heard the album. Oh, I have. I really like Move Like This. I do too. I'm not going to say I you know, love every song on it, but I think it's got some really good stuff on it. I really like the fact that they did that. And, you know, they, they released a single from it. Um, it's probably the one song that was heard the most from it. And that's part of the reason why I chose it. But to me, this song sounds like it could have been like an extra song from the Shake It Up sessions that never made it onto the album. It sounded like a car song to me. And it's Blue Tick. Nice. I really love the song. They put a little video with it. And I thought the video was really um, creative and cool. And um, I know there's some people out there that are going to be like, well, you're not putting this and this. Neither all, you know, what about this Ben song? What about, I mean, obviously, I mean, we can pick 60 songs probably if we wanted to, to put on a mixtape. But I just, I wanted to give a tip of the cap to the guys, you know, doing that one last album. And um, I just, I think it was really well done. And I, and I do like the fact that they didn't even try to replace Ben. They just said, you know, Ben's spirit's with us. I got a batch of songs. and. You know, it wasn't too long after that, unfortunately, that Rick is no longer with us. So now I look back on it and I'm like, thank God that they did that album. Because I think it's got some really good songs on it. So I went with Bloom Tip. There's a curveball for you. Thank you. Because I'll tell you right now, had you not gone with Blue Tip for track eight, that was going to be my track nine as a tip of the cap to this era. So you and I are lockstep on it. That's my favorite song on the album. The first time my father and I put that CD and I ended up going and getting the Best Buy version because it had some extra demos at the end and I wanted to have the extras because I'm that big of a Cars geek. But we listened to Blue Tip and as soon as the song was over, my father said, rewind it, let's hear that one again. He goes, that's vintage Cars right there. And it is. And I, I believe it deserves a spot on this discussion. And that means we each have one song left to close things out and I have a wide slate because we have now touched on every single Cars album at some point in this discussion. And I can, with no guilt, go right back to my favorite album of all time and pick one of the few songs on it that we didn't talk about. And I'm kind of torn right now because I still have two more on my list. I have my best friend's girl, which my band Colburn and Company covers all the time. But I am going to go with a crowd favorite. I've talked about it several times because of the fact that they named a greatest hits after the song. It is one of the band's most beloved, well-known hits. Just what I needed. 
Oh, from the original album. It to me was one of the songs that if you go see a cover band and they're like, we're going to play some cars. That's usually the one they go to. Sister Hazel did a fantastic cover of it. It's just a wonderful song. And again, it shows everything I love about the cars. It's rock. It's pop. It's got a little bit of a punk edge to it. It's got a little bit of a new wave edge to it. And for my contribution to the night, I feel like I'm kind of giving you a nice way to close wherever you want, because you said your favorite album is Candio. Maybe you'll pick something from that. Maybe you'll throw a curveball in there. But I got to touch on the self-titled one last time tonight with just what I needed. That's a great pick. It really is. To give you um, another really quick story, kind of related to my book. So when the cars got elected into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in 2018, I went to Cleveland. I went to the ceremony. Six months after the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame ceremony, my book came out. So it was really good timing. So when I went to Cleveland for the Rock Hall ceremony, I actually went and visited Ben at his resting place. That was like my final stop of my trip. And a person who helped me with the book um, had also come with me. Um, She was like my promotions person and helped me a lot with the book. She was also with me on this Cleveland trip. Um, Her name was Donna. So at the end of the trip, I wanted to go visit Ben. So we went to the cemetery to visit Ben. And, um, you know, I sat there and my book wasn't out yet. It was a done deal, but it was in the process. So it wasn't going to be out for another six months. But I just chatted with Ben a little bit, had my moment with him. And um, as I'm getting ready to leave, I was like, so Ben, give me a sign, man. You know, let me know that you know I'm here or anything like that. And, you know, I looked up and like there was like a a brush of wind and the trees kind of blew. I kind of looked up and I'm like, well, all right, I'll take that as, you know, that is the sign. We went back to the car. We got in the car to leave. Donna was driving. She turned the car engine on, and I swear to God, on my grandmother's grave, she turned the car on, and right on cue, it was on an FM radio station in Cleveland, and right on cue, as soon as she turned the car over, no end of a commercial, no radio DJ speaking, the first words out of the car speaker were, I don't mind you coming here and wasting all my time, I kid you not. Wow. I included this little story in the book. And if there wasn't somebody with me as a witness, I probably wouldn't even have talked about it or put it in the book because people would be like, you're full of shit. No one's going <laughs> to do that. I had a witness. And that came on. We looked at each other. And I just got chills throughout my body. And I couldn't even react. I started laughing out loud. I, could, I didn't even know what the thinker say. I started stacking my hands on the dashboard going, oh, I swear to God that happened. Wow. That is absolutely awesome. And if you hadn't picked that song, it's what I was going to pick. Oh, so now I feel hard. You know what? Can I pull my choice? Now it's I feel okay. guilty. <laughs> no, no, It's okay because I still can pick something else. But All right. said that, I'm like, okay, he's picking that song, but I got to tell this story. I'm so glad you did. That's amazing. I love it. It was probably the most surreal moment of my life. And like I said, I wouldn't tell the story if I didn't have a witness. Well, I am so sorry I stole that thunder, but now you get to encore 
with the last pick of the evening. So what are you going to close out this amazing Cars mixtape with? You know, it's really tough because... So you're saying, so we haven't picked Best Friends Girl, have we? No, we have not. So I had just what I needed and Best Friends Girl down to the final two. But now I'm sitting here saying, do we want to end it with two songs from the first album? Or do I try to want to end it with a curveball? I think I'm going to end it with a curveball. All right. Um, because this, all, this is all tied together because of my book. Um, and it's not a Cars book, even though the Cars are obviously throughout the whole thing. It's really a Ben book. It's a book about Ben's life. And, you know, writing this book has really changed my life. I've met so many people and it created so many other avenues for me that this book journey has just been something that I never, I thought once the book came out, you know, I'd sell some copies and it would just fade into oblivion and that would be the end of it. But to this day, five years after it's come out, I'm still meeting people. I still have people reach out to me. I have people reach out to me and go, you know, I just read this book you wrote about Ben. I knew Ben when we were kids. I really wish you interviewed me for this book. I would have had some great. So to this day, people are approaching me, talking to me about the book, things they know that I didn't know, all kinds of things like that. So this book has, it's been more than just writing a book. It's really been an unbelievable adventure. So in saying that, to end it with a curveball, I want to pick an unreleased song that was on the double anthology. And it's a song called Fun Time. And it's a cover song of an Iggy Pop song. And there's a little story behind it. So they recorded this song during the Shake It Up sessions, but it didn't make the final cut. They had enough original songs, so it didn't make the final cut, but it did end up on that compilation. Fun Time. So the cars are at the peak, you know, and they have their own, their own studio in Boston. And a lot of bands and musicians, famous musicians who came into town, they would go and visit the cars in their studio. So Iggy Pop was in town doing a show at the Paradise. Some of the guys in the band went to the show. They invited Iggy back to their, they, they called it the Playhouse, um, invited Iggy back to their studio. Everyone's hanging around and partying. And the cars said, we want to, here's a song we, we're, we're doing for you. So they did it in front of Iggy. They played this song. And Ben did his best Iggy impersonation of Fun Time. And at the end of the song, Iggy was like, holy crap, man, you sound more like me than me. <laughs> it's a really fun song. It's Ben at his coolest and just being a rock star. And uh, I don't think there's a lot. If you don't own that anthology, there's no way of hearing this song. I mean, obviously, if you Google it, you can go online here. But if you don't know that this song is in existence, um, I've had a lot of people get that anthology and say, you know, I never heard this song before. So I decided to end it with a curveball in honor of Ben and putting fun time in there. Well, knowing my love of cover songs to anybody who listens to this show, the car is covering a song that was written by Iggy Pop and David Bowie. What a perfect exclamation point on this amazing mixtape, which for side B, we are on fire here. It kicked off with You're All I Got Tonight, Shoe Doo, Into Candio, Don't Tell Me No, Drive, Since I Held You, All Mixed Up, You Are the Girl, Blue Tip, Just What I Needed, and 
fun time. Head over to myweeklymixtape.com to hear all the songs we've discussed in this mix through the playlist embedded on the episode page. Now, Joe, if somebody wants to pick up a copy of your book, how can they get in touch with you and where can they find it? Well, there's really two ways. I mean, it's available on Amazon. Plug in the title of the book, you know, Let's Go, Benjamin Orr on the Cars. And you can go through Amazon to pick it up. Um, I also have a website for the book. It's really simple, benorbook.com. You can go there and there's a link that will bring you right to the publisher. You can order it directly from the publisher. I also want to let people know that I also offer personalized copies of the book. Um, so some people come directly to me and I personalize a book for them. I have a couple little extra book promotional goodies that I include with my orders. So if somebody wanted to come directly to me to get a personalized copy, they could just find me on Facebook. So if someone goes to Facebook and just plugs in, let's go Benjamin or on the cars, my Facebook page will pop up. So if they want to get a personalized copy from me, they can come to me for it. If they don't want to bother with that and just want to go through the publisher or Amazon, you can find it online anywhere. Fantastic. And word is on the street that while it's not the cars, there's another book you're currently working on. Why don't you tell the listeners a little something about that and when they can expect to hear more? Well, the publisher was happy with the numbers of the first book. Um, you know, I was a first time author and considering it was a niche book and I did all the promotion myself, the publisher was really happy. So they approached me about a next book. I gave them a list of ideas and talked about it a lot. Um, actually a cars book was considered, but I felt like I needed to go in a different direction. So I am writing a book about my sentimental favorite musician is uh, Joe Perry of Aerosmith. So Aerosmith is my sentimental favorite band. They're not necessarily the band I listen to more than any other band anymore. But when I was like in junior high school, that was the first band that really got me crazy about music. So Aerosmith was always, and I'm from Boston and they're a Boston band. But Joe Perry has always been something a little extra for me. The way he looked, the way he plays, everything about him. He's just like Joe Cool to me. So Joe Perry has always been my favorite artist. I include that on my list, but I didn't think that they would want to do it because he did put out an autobiography about 10 years ago, but I told them about a different approach I wanted to take and they agreed with it. So that's what I'm doing. So I'm doing a biography about Joe Perry. Obviously there'll be a whole bunch of Aerosmith stuff in it too, but that's the whole reason he's famous, but that's what I'm working on now. It'll probably go to press maybe another year or so. I'm kind of in the middle of it now and there's a lot of research, a lot of interview chasing and all that kind of stuff. So I'm kind of knee deep in it as we speak. So I'm hoping in the next year or so, it'll be ready to submit. So it's a little ways down the road, but that's what I'm working on now. It'll be a biography about Joe Perry. Fantastic. And I guess when that time comes, we will do the ultimate Aerosmith mixtape here at My Weekly Mixtape. Joe Milliken, this has been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for joining me tonight. It's been a real pleasure. I think we came up with a pretty cool list. I'm sure it gives a lot of people things to talk about. Well, how can they put this on and not include this, you know? But I mean, that's what it's all about, right? Everyone's got their own taste, their own opinions. Um, hopefully we gave, you know, good enough descriptions why we chose the things that we chose. And um, closing out with that song, Fun Time, this was really a fun time. Likewise, man. Thank you again. And remember, Mixtapers, you could find my weekly mixtape on all the social haunts at 
My Weekly Mixtape. You can also head to myweeklymixtape.com to check out the full catalog of My Weekly Mixtape episodes. If you like what you're hearing on the show, please do me a favor and tell a friend about the show. Leave the show a five-star review wherever you're tuning in. Or consider becoming a Patreon mixtaper at patreon.com forward slash myweeklymixtape. That's all for this week. Thanks again for listening. Until next time, enjoy the tunes. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.